Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Well, it's uh, great to be with you this morning and open up the word with you. Um, We have been talking about uh, this particular statement in our church, together strengthening you to change your world for Christ. By the way, um, what just happened by way of clarification, if you haven't been coming for very long, uh, you may say, what, you guys do like a financial update every week or how does that happen? Um, We don't hold business meetings, separate business meetings as a church. We hold them here in short, brief meetings so that the entire congregation could know and you can know how to pray about those things as opposed to have a meeting someplace else. And so thank you, Mike, for your presentation. And uh, it gives us all an opportunity to pray about what our part may be in it. As I mentioned earlier, we took a brief uh, step away from the book of Acts momentarily to talk about how you could change your world. That is, uh, three elements that we want to understand. We'll do one now. We'll do one in January. We'll do one of April of next year. Three areas where when we're thinking about the culture and world in which we live, the people you rub shoulders with who aren't here on a Sunday, that you might be able to think in terms of how you could impact them for Christ. And so we started that series last week with trying to understand how we would express the Bible. That's going to be important. We talked about how we understand the Bible. There's a second part of that, and that's today, how we apply the Bible. And all of those whiteboard classes, those extra educational classes that are happening after this service happening down in the hallway. Justin will talk about those in a moment. All of those um, are tied to this particular discussion, how we can understand the Bible. Uh, This morning, we want to get into this one. How are we to apply the Bible? Once we say, okay, I understand. You may remember from last week, we talked about the Bible as a work of antiquity. So therefore, we don't say it's irrelevant because it's an old book. We say we have to understand what was happening 2,000 years ago so that we can properly understand what God is saying to us today. We talked about it as a written book. That is that there's words on the page. So we want to understand context. We want to understand how the words relate to one another. We just don't want to grab a verse and pull it out. I I remember hearing a a wise counselor say once that he believed uh, Christians in our day and age had a problem known as plaquitis. And you say, I've never even, my dentist has never talked to me about that, okay? He said he believed Christians took a verse out of the Bible and put it on a plaque, okay? And then they put it on the wall, and because they yanked it out of its context, then they claimed it said something that it didn't really say. And he said what he wanted to do was go into every Christian bookstore, get out on Amazon, and sell context plaques, Okay? that would put the rest of the verse around that particular verse so that when you looked at it, you knew what it was saying, okay? So we understand the Bible is a written book. We also understand that the Bible is a supernatural book, and that is why when we open it, it's saying things to us that are meant to change us. Now, my hope is, is that this morning, you're going to hear how that process works and even how it's going on inside of your mind when you're reading the Word or when someone's teaching you the word. With that in mind, I want to take you to a different text this morning um, in the book of Ephesians. Will you stand with me for the reading of the word? Ephesians chapter 4. I'll pick up the reading at verse 17. Ephesians 4, 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. When it comes to understanding the Bible, um, one uh, uh, theological professor and scholar said it this way, Christians tend to make one of two errors in applying the Bible. Either they give too little attention to application or they give too much attention to it. Neglecting to apply the scriptures reduces Bible study to academic exercise. In other words, maybe you're one of those guys that likes to study the Bible or ladies who likes to study the Bible to know truths. You can win every Bible, quiz, every Bible trivia quiz you've ever seen, right? But the point is, is that's not the end result of your study. He goes on to say, with little or no regard for its impact on our lives. However, he said application without interpretation leaves us open to applying the Bible improperly. In a shorter way, Francis Chan says it this way, don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. Okay? That's right. Don't fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. We just want to say, okay, I want to know what the Bible is saying so that I can do it. Now, when it comes to how to apply the scriptures, we're going to come to that passage in Ephesians 4 in just a moment. But just let me give you some questions that we need to ask, some statements that we need to make, okay? How to apply the scriptures. Here's the first one. Ask where the Bible addresses your problem. That's right. Ask yourself, where does the Bible address this problem? So we want to start there. Where does the Bible address the problem? And to do that, remember, we talked about that last week. This is a work of antiquity. It's an older work. So we don't say, it's too old. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to obey it. Instead, we do this. We look for elements that the original audience shares with you. you look for elements that the original audience shares with you. And I'm going to give you an example of that. We're going to get to Ephesians 4 in just a moment. I'm going to give you an example. But you may remember this picture from last week. We have Bible Town and we have My Town, Okay. Bible Town is to whom these words were written 2,000 years ago, back in Moses' time, um, 3,500 years ago. They were written way, way back then. That's Bible Town. It had certain things in its language, in its culture. Um, there were certain, in its history, there were certain things that we need to understand. That's the river that's running between us and Bible Town. There's language issues, there's cultural issues, there's, uh, there's literature issues. We want to make sure that we just don't discount that, okay? And then there's my town. You maybe not, can't see it, but the little billboard says, you are here, okay? That's where we live on October 22nd, 2023. That's where we are. And so we want to make sure that we're crossing over. So let's just take one character in the Bible. Um, if you have your Bibles, you may want to jump there with me to Joshua chapter 1. And we want to ask ourselves, what do we have in common with Joshua? Now, for just a moment, I got to tell you, I had this great moment last week when I was teaching, and you guys taught me something, all right? So here it is. I said, give me some things that are different between Bible Town and my town. What is different? What wasn't there in, in, uh, 
in 2000 BC, what wasn't there that is there now, and, uh, that is here now, and, and everybody shouted out things. Every section gave me something. Some of you said cars, that's com- transportation. Some of you said phones, that's communication. We all said something, right? But here's what I want you to see. We all said something, but, but when I went back and said, okay, those are the differences, what was the same then that is the same now? And these words came out, anxiety, anger, War, murder, fear. Okay. So that's how you look at the Bible. The Bible's answering those things that are still the same today in our hearts that were back then. So let's just take Joshua for a moment. Imagine Joshua. Let's talk about him. He lived in Bible Town uh, a long, long time ago. Joshua, the character there, is in charge of one and a half million people. And we read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's what God says to him. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. There's about a million and a half people. And what you, if you're reading the end of Deuteronomy, you would read that there was never a prophet like Moses. So just imagine this. You are the man off the bench, okay? And you step forward because God said it's time to step forward. And he said, by the way, the superstar the guy who will never, he, he will be the greatest of all time, prophet. That guy's no longer here. You're going to lead. Now, who in that scenario wouldn't be a little bit afraid? Okay, can I see your hands? Okay, I would be, all right? I'd say, you've got to be kidding me, Lord. Like, can I run to the back of the pack and somebody else do this? Okay. So we look for elements that the original audience shares with us. And I'm just going to give you an example. Joshua had reasons to be afraid. He could have said, God, these people didn't follow Moses. What makes you think they're going to follow me? Okay? And God said, listen, walk down to the River Jordan. Here's what I want you to do. But not only that, here's how you do the application on the other side. Consider how their understanding of God impacted their decision. Look at this. Moses, my servant, is dead. Joshua's got a reason to be afraid. Look at Joshua 1.9, though. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Here it comes. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So today, you walk into this building, you got some things you're afraid of, right? You leave understanding that when you walk out that door, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That's how you apply the scripture. You ask, where does the Bible address my problem? The issue of fear could be addressed in Joshua's life. Joshua is told to be strong and courageous. Note this, this is so important. And he isn't told to be strong and courageous because God doesn't say to him, Joshua, you got this. You can do this on your own. You are great, okay? He says, hey, don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Ask yourself where the Bible addresses the problem. Now, I got to go a little bit more deeply here because I think sometimes people say, okay, I'm trying to apply the Bible. I'm trying to do what it says, but how come it isn't working? Right, I got this particular sin I struggle with. I got this particular issue I'm always get, getting hung up on. And I keep trying to do what the Bible says, but it isn't working. Okay? And I think that's because we are probably too quick and too shallow on our application. You have to discover the faulty belief that is driving your wrong action. You have to discover the faulty belief that is driving your wrong action. And I mean by that, you can almost take, uh, take any sin you've ever struggled and you can't get up from that temptation. I've been guilty of this and said from time to time, I'll just try harder. I'll try harder. Okay? But if what you were doing before wasn't working, then what you're doing now, trying harder, is probably not going to work either. You say, well, what in the world am I supposed to do? 
You're supposed to step back and say, okay, I've got to consider what it is that I really desire. There must be something I am believing that is wrong. And the Bible does that so perfectly. I wish I had discovered this more than uh, five or six years ago. I wish I discovered this like 30 years ago when I first started pastoring. The Bible gives us truths to believe and actions to do. It's that simple. The Bible gives you truths to believe and actions to do, and both are essential when we apply the word. When you read in your Bibles, uh, you may not be able to pick it up, but when you read in your Bibles, the Bible speaks with certain truth statements. Those are indicative verb moods. The Bible speaks with certain commands. Those are imperatives. There it is. Truths to believe, actions to do. Let me show you something really wild. Just, well, I geek out on this stuff, okay? So I think this is really cool, okay? This is what happens when you take the book of Ephesians and you take the indicatives, or those are those statements of fact, truths about God, truths about his sovereignty, truths about what he's doing in the world. Those, that's, the, the, that's the occurrence, all those, that blue line is all the occurrences of those indicatives, okay? Now, if you don't know the book of Ephesians, know this. It's heavy on doctrine in chapters 1, 2, and 3. In chapter 4, it starts to talk about other things. In chapter 5, see the orange thing? Those are imperatives. Those are things you're supposed to do. Just notice what God did. Just step back and look at what God did with the book of the Bible. He said, listen, before I tell you what to do, like Ephesians chapter 5, husbands love your wives. Ephesians chapter 5, wives submit to your husbands. Ephesians chapter 5, children obey your parents. These are all imperatives, okay? Before I tell you what to do, God says, I'm going to start back here and tell you what to believe about me, see? That's how it works. Both of those are essential, And if you haven't stopped to say, wait a minute, this is what I believe, okay, then there's no way you're going to be able to do what God's asking you to do. Let me help you with that in another way. Our culture says, uh, you can finish the blank for me, okay, you ready? Just follow your, ooh, top answer in Family Feud, just follow your heart, okay? So what you got to do is just got to find out what you're feeling, you got to follow that. How many of you know that from time to time, your heart has led you astray? Can I see your hands? Yeah, okay, just for a moment. Keep those hands up for a moment, okay? You need to look around and understand when someone, when Disney tells you next week, just follow your heart, you need to remember that you just were with a bunch of witnesses that said, that got me in trouble, okay? That got me in a lot of trouble, see? So we have to say, okay, what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the heart is deceitfully wicked, who shall know it? Ooh, which means... I don't even know what's going on in my heart, so how can I follow it, okay? My heart is prone to deceive me, to give me what I want. You're going to see that in a second. So understand this. Discover the faulty belief that is driving your wrong action. Now, let me show you that out of Ephesians chapter 4 with some truth statements, okay? This passage that we read when we got started said, you need to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life which is corrupt through deceitful desires. I just discovered something in the text, right? That when I desire something, I can be deceived. That's right. The very thing that I think will satisfy me could be a lie. It could be a lie. Therefore, if I just follow my heart, I'm just going to wander into lie after lie after lie after lie. Now, Let me unpack that thought with you in just another way. Here it is. This is a truth statement, okay? 
Dwelling on a desire will produce an action, an action performed routinely will become a habit. This is why it's hard for you and I to break away from our old sinful self because we have spent years creating that as a habitual desire. The desire produces an action. The action will routinely become a, done, routinely will become a habit. Okay? You say, well, Phil, give me help. Don't tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me what I'm going to do. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Your thinking awakens desires. Your feelings fuel the desire. And your choices harden the desire. Now, this is true both with bad desires and good desires. You've heard me say before, there's this, uh, there's this great uh, uh, Greek word because the, the, the Greek word for desire or for lust can either be a good desire or a bad desire based upon the object of the desire. Just stay with me for a second. I'm sure you've heard me say this before if you've been coming for any period of time. I'll give you the same statement. I'll just change one word. A man desires to spend quality time with his wife. Is that a good desire or a bad desire? Good desire. Let me change one word. A man desires to spend quality time with another man's wife. Okay. Good desire, bad desire. Bad desire. All that changed was the object of the desire. Okay. So this is really helpful because what you're going to see in a moment, if you can understand what's going on in your thinking, if you can understand what's going on in your emotions, if you can understand what's going on in your volition or your will or your choices, if you can move if, by the Spirit of God, not by yourself, but if you move those, suddenly the actions change, okay? The very thing that you've wanted to get over all your life, suddenly it doesn't have quite the same pull that it had before. So let's just talk about that briefly. Your thinking awakens desires. Note this in the text. Here we go. The Bible says that this I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, Paul is using, speaking to the Ephesians, he's saying, listen, it's not all Gentiles are bad, but those who have sought their entire life to just do whatever they wanted to do, people who haven't come to faith in Christ, that group of people, okay, this is how they operated. In the futility of their mind, they are darkened in their understanding. Now, for just a moment, that's because your thinking can shift to give you what you think you want. Remember, dwelling on a desire, how you think about the desire will produce an action, an action performed routinely will become a habit. Now, the word here is the futility of minds. It, it literally means to be intellectually unproductive. In other words, the mind isn't working properly. You say, well, Phil, I already knew my mind wasn't working properly, okay? But let me clarify that. With spiritual issues... Prior to Christ, the mind is not working properly. And I use a couple examples from the Bible to communicate that, okay? Let's just take, um, let's take Achan, whose story is told in the book of Joshua. Um, Achan took something that was forbidden. God said, listen, do not take something from the town of Jericho because I don't want people to think you're pirates. I want them to understand that I have given you the land, okay? So don't come in there and take anything. Just come in and take the city, okay? So... Achan sees this gold and this robe that he likes, and so he takes it. The text actually says, he says, I saw it, I wanted it, I took it, I hid it. Now, watch what just happened. The mind, which is unproductive spiritually, says this, if I want something, then my mind's going to operate to tell you how I can hide something that I want. Okay. But it isn't really hidden, is it? Because God says, listen, bring the families forward one by one, one by one. And as they step forward, there's Achan. 
saying, yes, this is what I did. Make a confession. That's what I did. Okay? Achan's mind didn't allow him to see the final definitive consequence. Let me go back even further. Eve. It says of Eve that she saw the fruit, that it was good, that it was a desired to make one wise. Right. So she took. She took her mind, not fully understanding all of the consequences. She was deceived. Okay? And that's how your mind is going to work. Okay? Your mind is going to deceive you. You desire something, your mind goes into hyperdrive to tell you how you can have it. But your mind's not thinking productively. Here's the second idea. Your feelings fuel the desire. I'll show you a great word. I just discovered this when I was teaching in Ukraine a couple months ago. Um, they have become callous. When that process happens, your mind is working like that. You become callous. You've given themselves up to sensuality. Now, that sounds like a sexual word, and it became that, but it wasn't initially. Sit tight. Listen to what this word means. This word described as sensuality here was the pursuit of things in excess wanting something without restraint, okay? So, the pursuit of things, that is, um, things you want to purchase, things you want to buy, things you want to have in excess, that's materialism. How many of you, how many of you have said at some stage in your life, if, if, if I buy that for my child or if I get that for myself, they will be happy and I will be happy? Can I see your hands? Okay, okay be honest, hands down. How many of you know that that now exists, that thing you bought now exists in a South Jersey landfill someplace, okay? <laughs> what happened? What happened? What happened is you bought things in excess. Right? You bought them without restraint. You wanted something like that, and you were greedy. You wanted more and more and more because your feelings, your emotions keep telling you, whoa, man, when I bought that, I, had, I just got a buzz, like right there. I said, man, I, I always wanted this. Now I got it, okay? And then it breaks. And then your emotions say, whoa, that was so stupid. Why did you do that? Okay. So this is your picture. Your feelings are going to fuel that desire. Let me give you one last one, your choices. Your choices are going to harden the desire. This is your inner person. It's comprised of your thinking, your feelings, your choices. Okay. And notice this. It says, due to the hardness of their hearts, they have become calloused. Wow, that's powerful. That means that if you keep doing the wrong thing over and over again, your heart grows a little hard, and you become calloused, right? And let me go back to that truth statement again and give it to you one more time. Here it is. Dwelling on a desire will produce an action. An action performed routinely will become a habit. So in order for us to discover the faulty belief that is driving our wrong action, we've got to deal with our thinkings, our feelings, our choices. Now, you're actually applying the Scripture beneath the surface, okay? You're actually doing legitimate surgery on what the Bible causes your heart. By the way, the heart is used a thousand times in the Bible, 1,000 times. More often than not, it's not speaking of the physical heart. It's speaking of the inner person. It's not speaking of just your emotions. Follow your heart. It's speaking of the inner person comprised of your thinking, your feelings, and your actions. And that brings us to the last point, and here it is. Discover principles from the Bible to inform your beliefs and inspire actions. This is how you apply it. I want to find principles from the Bible that work both on my belief, what I believe, and on my actions. Develop principles from the Bible to inform your beliefs and inspire your actions. Now, I ask a family to help me with this, all right? So they're going to come, and they're going to show you what actually is happening inside you, okay? This is great. This is great, okay? So here you go. Let me get these for you, okay? There you go. There you go, Chris. And here you go, okay? 
So for just a moment, slide over, slide over, slide over. Here we go, here we go, okay. This is what you look like inside, okay. Uh, You said, that's what I look like inside. These are your emotions. This is your mind. This is your will. Thank you, okay. This is your will. And here's what the text says. But that is not the way you learned Christ, okay. So, I'm going to show you what happens when you became a Christian. If you, when you place your faith in Christ, if that's been your experience, this is what was going on inside of you, okay? So the mind steps forward and says, hey, I've heard a little bit about this, and it's starting to make sense to me now, that Jesus, I, 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 I know that if I sin, that I need someone to pay the penalty for my sin. The mind is thinking it out. There you go. Look like you're thinking. Perfect, okay? <laughs> the mind is thinking it out. When you become a Christian, the mind says something like this, um, So it makes sense that someone who'd never sinned, lived a perfect life like Jesus, could die in the place of my sin, okay? That's your mind thinking. That's, you're starting to recognize the gospel, okay? The emotion steps forward and says, woohoo, like this is awesome, okay? Yeah, that's right. This is awesome. God loves me, okay? God loves me. And not only does God love me, but I'm about to get hundreds of people that love me too when I become a part of the family of God. It has never been like this. Look at your mind and say, this is awesome. Yes, this is awesome, okay? Step back, and the will steps forward and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't get carried away, okay? Because I'm telling you right now, if you get carried away, all right, um, if we give our life to Christ, I lose my autonomy. I can no longer just make any decision I want to make, see? And the mind steps forward and says, yeah, but it's true. The guy, well, steps back, but it's true. The gospel's true. And emotion steps forward and says, I understand what you're saying, and I, and I, I don't want to lose your autonomy either. I feel for you. I feel for you. I feel for my will, but it's going to be awesome. God loves me. God loves me. God loves me. And ultimately, what happens when you become a believer is the Spirit of God works on your will, and you step forward and say, okay, that's it. I'm going to become a Christian. This is how you learned Christ. Okay. There's a problem. That's all true. But see, the text said that we needed to step away from the way that we used to think, the old manner of life, and develop a new manner of life. And that's why the text goes on to say, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which means that these things operate, they can operate like they used to operate, okay? And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. So this is what we said. We, we want to understand what it means to be renewed in the spirit of mind. This is where the application takes place. Um, the will says, uh, this is a believer's will. Steps forward. I see something I desire. I, I know it's wrong to do, but I like it. I remember that I used to like it. Now, this is the mind thinking the old way. The mind steps forward and says... That's okay, I can figure this out for you. I know how to rationalize. I know how to tell yourself that this really isn't a lie, even when it is a lie. I'll help you out there, okay? And the emotion steps forward and says, woohoo, okay? Are we gonna go do what we used to do? I love what we used to do. This is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. This is gonna be great. And the will says, okay. The will steps forward and the will says, here we go, here we go. We just did what we knew we shouldn't have done. And the emotion steps forward and says, what is this I feel? Guilt. That's what I feel. And the, and the emotion says, that isn't very fun, right? And the mind says, you're right. We knew all along it was wrong. Emotion step back. We knew all along it was wrong, okay? And 
then we step back, and the will does pretty well until it sees another desire that it wants to do. Steps forward, I'd like to do this. The mind says, you know, we did this before, it didn't turn out so well. And the emotion says, yep, and I felt guilt, I'm speaking here too, okay, okay. And the mind says, but if you really want to do it, okay, I can help you figure it out. I can tell you that we'll get away with it, that nobody will know. I can tell you that, uh, that, that maybe even God just wanted us to sin because, you know, why would the temptation be here like this? Okay. The mind can tell you things to be deceived if you want to be deceived as opposed to tell you the truth. That's why the text says, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. That's why you have to apply the truths of Scripture to your mind. That's why it's a battle. It's a daily battle. The truth of Scripture says, so here's how it should work, okay? Step back, step back. The will's doing pretty well. It steps forward and says, I got something I want to do. Can you help me out? The mind says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're not going to do that, okay? The will says, yeah, but I really want to do it. The mind says, I think, come on, mind, you used to tell me that you can help me get away with this, right, that nobody will know. And the mind says from Scripture, Job 31, for lust is a shameful sin, a crime that should be punished. It's a devastating fire that destroys to hell. It'll wipe out everything I own, right? And emotions is just down here saying, what is going on over there, guys? Okay. And what you should be saying is I am renewing my mind. Okay. I'm renewing my mind. And the Spirit of God has enabled that whole process to happen. And now you know why if you don't change what you believe, you can never change your actions. Because what's going on inside of you is this. Right? I love the way Elizabeth Elliot captured it. The Word of God I think of as a straight edge, which shows up our crookedness. We can't really tell how crooked our thinking is until we line it up with the straight edge of Scripture. And D.L. Moody captured it this way. The scriptures, your Bible, was not given for your information. It was given for your transformation. If you want help over your struggles, then you've got to know what's going on inside is meant for you to recognize the desires that are wrong, not just the actions, the desires that are wrong. And when the mind starts to get renewed, it brings along the will to do the glory of God and guess what? The emotions show up and they just say, woohoo, this is great. Okay. We are heaven bound and I know my God and my creator. I'm excited. You guys have been great. Thanks. You can have a seat. We are going to close with the time of worship this morning. We sung two songs for a reason because we've loaded some of the worship at the end. If you're with us for very long, you know that that's how we end sometimes services. Sometimes we'll do an outreach event at the end. Sometimes we'll spend time in prayer. Sometimes we'll close with a time of worship. That's this morning's time. Um, as we do that, I just want you to bow your heads with me and maybe let the Lord do some work in your heart. Maybe for the first time this morning, you saw what's going on inside, the way your desires are being manipulated by your thoughts and your emotions and, and, uh, and your choices. So just bow your heads with me and let the Lord know you saw that and that you want to take the right kind of steps. The way that you learned Christ is the way that you want to live for Christ, renewing your mind. Um, just take a moment, bow your head for that.
Perhaps you came in this morning and have never trusted Christ, and we would be remiss if we didn't invite you. We have sung about freedom, like, like there's a jailbreak that can happen when you place your faith in Jesus. He can set you free from those things that have always been a struggle. You heard the gospel declared to your mind already this morning that Christ came and died in the place of sinners so that when we place our faith in him, that he really did that, that he really said he did that, that when we receive Christ, when we believe that he truly is who he claimed to be, we can become children of God. Remarkable thing. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not a result of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not what you did or what you didn't do. It's about what Christ has done. That's your condition this morning. I'd love for you to just place your faith in Christ right here, right now. You could say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Please be my Savior. Take a moment and thank him for that. Lord, it's been a privilege to be in your word this morning. And even, Lord, it's kind of, the scripture has peeled back my inner person this morning, and so I'm grateful for that. Help us apply these truths in such a way that our lives are changed, not because of what we've done, but because we've been faithful to the things you promised. In Jesus' name.